Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. Hello everyone. My name's Andrew. There's some people who don't know me. I'm, uh, I guess on paper, the worship pastor. Feels, feels quite strange still. Um, I... We actually were singing from Revelation 4 just now. I don't know if you knew that. Wonderful portion of scripture. I was going to read it just now, but it might take too long now. But it's amazing. I just love these little snippets out of it. Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. And uh, once I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And I just love the like word pictures or the images here. I wish I was a jeweler sometimes because I don't think I understand the jewels, all the different jewels. And I think there's something very special there, but it says, he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Cornelian and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumbling and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was as if it were a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures. This is where it gets quite strange full of eyes in the front and behind, the first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings and full of eyes all around and within, trying to picture that, And day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. And I love this part. This just blows my mind. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him. Who lives forever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive the glory and the honor and the power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. It's amazing. These elders are sitting on thrones around God. (laughs) So they're probably quite important, but they fall down. They cast their crowns. They say, worthy are you. Worthy are you. I hope that's not part of my time, because that was just an extra. Right. Okay. Let's get into this. Let me pray for us quick. Father, we just love your word. We thank you so much that you gave us your word. And we are just blown away by your word, God, because it just takes on so many journeys lord so and lots of questions come up father lots of questions around your word 
We struggle sometimes to understand it. We've got to chew on it sometimes. We've got to really pray about things. But God, you are faithful. You are faithful to teach us. You are faithful to take us. When we ask you a question, you answer us. You're so faithful in that. And we thank you for your word because it grounds us, Lord, and gives us truth, Lord. And God, we just want to say tonight, God, we, we want to be a family that loves your word. We want to be a church family that loves the word of God, that lives in the word of God, that spends time in the word of God, that wrestles with the word of God. But God, we want to be that family. Thank you for tonight. Thank you for, your, for time in your presence. Thank you for time in your presence, Lord. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like it, Lord. We love you. And tonight we just want to continue in that, God, and just really hear you as you speak to us, as you take us on a journey in Jesus' name. Amen. Is my, this mic's a bit loud. Can we have it a bit softer? I don't think I have to be that loud. I've got quite a booming voice, you know. <laughs> um, anyway, so my name's Andrew. My family at school holidays, so my family is actually in Natal. My parents-in-law, there they are. My parents-in-law live in Mtanzini, and if you know that place, on the north coast. And uh, everyone speaks of the north coast, and they mean Belito, like where, where young George is from. But the north coast is actually further up, Zululand, actually. But anyway, they're there. Uh, my son, Luke, just caught his first fish today. Yeah, I'm very proud. He's only four years old, or he's turning four. So I got a photo just now. I wish I could have been there. I tried with him last time. We tried to catch some fish, but no, I couldn't even catch a fish. So he did very well. Uh, so that's Cara, my wife, Ava in front with the woolly hair, <laughs> and then Luke. And uh, we were just at Kirstenbosch there in December. We used to love going to Kirstenbosch. I lived in Cape Town most of my life. Spent a, two years in London, and then two years ago we moved up to, to Joburg. We felt the Lord call us. Uh, there was also business, um, kind of brought us here too. Well, that was the practical side of it. And, uh, but it's interesting because, <laughs> if I had to be honest, the business stuff that I thought was going to keep us here didn't work out. And, uh, and God had other plans, and God has other plans. And sometimes he, well, many times he actually works like that. And I'll talk about a bit of that tonight. So I'm actually just sharing a message that's quite personal, or just personal because I'm, I, I look at this stuff and I, and I wrestle with it. I look at it and I don't want to go listen to a podcast about it first. I don't want to go and you know, get someone else's opinion or kind of read someone else's interpretation. I want to come to the Word first and look at it and understand it and pray and trust God to speak to me. Wrestling with tough questions. Uh, we have to. We have to. And like I said, God is faithful. He's really faithful to answer our questions. Um, even sometimes he might not give you a straight or a very clear answer, but he gives you peace. And, uh, and he gives you almost like, you know, he will, he will answer you. And ultimately, he'll answer all our questions. And I'm looking forward to that. 
think we all have a lot of questions. So Hebrews 11. I don't know whose favorite scripture it is, like the whole of Hebrews 11. You're not allowed to pick and choose. Hebrews 11. There's a few. That's good. It's a, it's a great, great section of scripture. Um, in some translations, it's called the Hall of Faith. It's almost like the, the honors board in a school. You know, <laughs> there's the names. There they are. And uh, the, the um, author of Hebrews, there's a bit of debate around who it was. Uh, might be Paul, might be someone else. But he just gives us these in incredible stories, but obviously there's a purpose to it, and the whole of Hebrews is an incredible book. But Hebrews, he speaks a lot around, um, around faith. Like, what is faith? I, don't, I think he's actually subtly trying to tell us what is faith. He's trying to build a case for what he sees as faith. Okay. So let's read together Hebrews 11. We're going to start in, in verse 10. It says... By faith, Abraham obeyed. Those four words are actually already just striking. By faith, Abraham obeyed. Okay? He went, when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. So already it's like, you know, that's quite a leap. And by faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city that had foundations, whose designer and builder is God. First of all, just a little on the side, I don't know if there's any designers in the house or builders, but how cool is that? You know, God is a designer and God is a builder. He builds cities. He builds, he builds things. He designs. He's creative. He is the creator. For, we, for he was looking forward to the city which has foundations. In one of the other translations it says, Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God, an amplified version, it's a bit blown up. It says, for he was waiting expectantly and confidently, looking forward to the city which has foundations, an eternal heavenly city whose architect and builder is God. Just skipping forward to verse 13, a very, very challenging verse that if you read it, I think you'll see this. <laughs> there's... It's quite a lot to chew on. Just the four, first five words in this verse have me scratching my head. It says, these all died in faith. So straight away I'm wondering, isn't the point of faith that you receive what you, you know, what the promise is or what you're hoping for before you die? Isn't that, the <laughs> isn't that what we hope for a lot of the times? So, I mean, obviously... Not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. I think it's, it's incredible, <laughs> the scripture, and it challenges me to no end. 
not having received the things promised, but having seen them afar off, greeting them, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on this earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. Straight away, I think of that Paul Simon song, Homeland. I like it. (laughs) If they had been thinking of that land from which they'd gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. I mean, right now, we are desiring a better country, aren't we? Like even just practically. We, we, there's things, you know, we hope for, for really good things in this country. We hope for many things. They desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. That's where the game changes. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. That's quite, a, quite something. For he has prepared for them a city title of my sermon is living in the tension and uh, like I said it came out of my own life like just wrestling a bit with the tension of life and kind of having expectations having hopes having dreams feeling like I have promises certain promises not seeing fulfillment of of them what do you do with it and how do you how do you not just like we've been speaking about Lauren and I had that sermon on flourishing on the fruit and kind of uh, the pot plant sermon, we called it. But how do we not just survive, but thrive uh, when we're living life? And life happens to all of us. How do, we, how do we thrive in that? And I think there's a key in, in Hebrews 11. Um, I, when I lived in London, which is about 14 years ago now, um, I had the privilege of going to Scotland twice. We went there for a Christian music festival, which was really cool. Uh, A lot of really good bands, a lot of my favorite bands that I have never seen in my life played there. Um, Actually, the first year we went, I was so excited that we literally went and stood right up against the the railing, and we didn't move for 11 hours from that railing. (laughs) So I don't know how I physically managed that. Because you need to go to the loo every now and again. Um, I don't, maybe I didn't drink or eat anything. I can't even remember. But um, a funny story I'll tell you, just to keep myself humble, is um, Mac Powell from uh, Third Day. They were busy playing, and uh, they were singing this song, Come Together, which is a great song, giving away my age. This is probably 15 years ago. Um, maybe, who knows Third Day, please? Anyone? Oh, thank goodness. Oh. Um, so singing come together, and he's welcoming people onto the stage. So he's like, are there any girls who want to come onto the stage? And, you know, they all come up. And, uh, oh, no, wait, it was the other way around. Any guys come up onto the stage, and the guys came up. And any girls, and my hand was still up from, from it, all the guys. And then he was like, <laughs> he was like, you're not a girl. He said, if you're a girl, you're one ugly girl. <laughs> And that was Mac Powell from Third Day. That's like my, you know, my moment of fame with this. <laughs> with this. Yes, yeah, anyway. But um, my, my point to my story is actually Scotland. So Scotland, <laughs> Scotland climbed into my heart in a big way. My name is Andrew. It's a Scottish name. Uh, I've got quite a bit of heritage in Scotland. 
And I really enjoyed it. I never got to go to like the Highlands or all the really picturesque places, even though Edinburgh is amazing in its own. But I just, there was this like longing in my heart. And uh, for a few years after I came back to Cape Town, I went to work in Cape Town. I bought books on Scotland. I thought about Scotland. I thought like, am I going there? You know, should I go there? Must I go live there? And there was like, there's just this continual kind of like longing in my heart that I couldn't shake. And um, until one day when I started asking some questions with the Lord and started reading and just praying about things, and I started seeing something in my heart that's actually longing for something that's not in Scotland. If I went to Scotland, I don't think I would have found what I was longing for. And I think many times there's this longing in our hearts there's this longing for things to be right. There's this longing for things to work out. There's this longing for peop- everyone to be well, for everyone to, to be well off, or at least have enough. I uh, went on a mission in 2012 to Kenya, and uh, it was in the West, very rural part of Kenya. And I was so challenged because they worshipped with all of their hearts. But they had nothing. They really had nothing. No money. Um, but I was really challenged because they connected with God. The, the presence of God in the one church service one Sunday morning, I've never experienced anything like that again since. And, and I try. <laughs> you know, I try and press in. But there was just something special there, and I realized, you know, this kind of played into what I was thinking about. Um. So every now and again, probably every three or four years, I write a blog post. <laughs> I've got a blog that I've had for probably like 15 years, and I've written four posts on it. <laughs> and I don't think anyone has read it, thank goodness. Um, but my latest one was actually around this, this thinking of desiring a better country, desiring, you know, what am I looking for? And living in the tension of not seeing it or not kind of, fully experiencing it. So I love C.S. Lewis. I love his one book, Mere Christianity. I don't know if anyone's read Mere Christianity. Oh, guys, missing out. Um, It's a great book. took me about four months to read it (laughs) because it's wordy. It's old English, but it's incredible. And he's got a chapter in there called Hope. And I'm going to just read two quotes from there. Quite wordy quotes, but worth it, I think. So this is on the topic of hope. He says, hope is one of the theological virtues. That means that a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some people would say, or some modern people would say, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things that a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. And if you read your history, you will find out that the Christians who did the most for the present world were those who were thinking most of the next. The apostles themselves who set, foot, set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, They all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. 
It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this world. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in, he says. Aim at earth and you will get neither. So it's like a two-for-one deal. Most of us find it very difficult to want heaven at all, except in as so far as, it, as heaven means meeting again with old friends. Um, and he says one reason for this difficulty is that we have not been trained. Our whole education system tends to fix our minds on this world. Another reason is that when, we, when, when the real want for heaven is present in us, we do, we do not even recognize it. Most people, if they had really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that they do want and want acutely something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer, that offer to give to you, but they never quite keep their promise. The longings which arise in us when we first fall in love. Hey? When we first fall in love? Our first think of some foreign country as I mentioned about Scotland, a first take up on a subject that excites us. I don't know how many of you, you know, get, in, get into a task or a project and then it doesn't take long <laughs> and you'd, you'd lose interest in it. Um, I think it happens with everyone. Our longings, so he says, these longings are longings which no marriage, no travel, no learning can satisfy. I'm not now speaking of what would ordinarily be called unsuccessful marriages or holidays or learned careers. He's actually speaking of the best possible ones. He says there was something we grasped at in the moment, in that first moment of longing, which just fades away into reality. I think everyone knows what I mean. The wife may be a good wife. The hotel and the scenery may have been excellent. The chemistry may have been a very interesting job. Not for me. Uh, but something has evaded us, he says. Yeah, I think that just opens up a whole lot. So the tension. We know that we're living here. We, I mean, we, here we are. You know, we're living here on earth. We've got to have sig- we want to have significant, significant lives. We want to have a purpose. We want to really go for it. We also, if we're really honest each other and with ourselves things don't work out like we hope a lot of the time things take a different path sometimes not in a bad way actually a lot of times you know if we're serving the lord great things you know the lord leads us um and actually things happen that we didn't expect that are probably better than than what we thought but earth just in general terms another book i read a long time ago was actually called heaven by D.L. Moody. Uh, it's very hard to find it. I only found PDF versions online, but it's worth getting. It's a very good book. Very, it's just from, everything's from the Word. Everything's from the Bible. And he just writes a lot about heaven, about its inhabitants, about, you know, what are we going to do there? And it's really, really cool. And it's written in the 1800s. So <laughs> it's written a long time ago. Um, some men say, so this is a little bit from his book, some men say that this, this is the only heaven that we will know. Now, if I think of that, it's a strange heaven because it's, our, it's the home of sin. It's a, it's a hospital of sorrow. And it's a place that has nothing in it. 
to really satisfy our souls. Nothing. Men go all over it, and in the end, they want to get out of it. Our lives here are like a vapor, a shadow, just an inch of time, and then the eternal ages roll on. What's interesting, too, is I'm, I love history. I really love history, probably too much. But um, I've a lot of times thought about these great civilizations that the world's had and what happened to them. Where, where are they today? And how did that happen? Because uh, in a way, you kind of go, well, if it was a great civilization, surely it should have lasted. Surely, you know, we definitely have the influences of these great civilizations, but they are actually gone. Uh, Alexander the Great, the Byzantine Empire, um, the Roman Empire is very interesting. I mean, they were massive. They were massive, and they did give us a lot of infrastructure and a lot of stuff, but gone. There's no more Caesar anymore. Cities. I, Johannesburg so interesting for me. Uh, a few weeks ago when that prayer team was here from Cape Town, Bernie and them, we took them out for a few sightseeing well, we went to a few spots in Joburg in the city to go check it out. And we actually went up the Carlton Center. I don't know if anyone's been up the Carlton Center to the 50th floor. Uh, quite interesting, quite sad to see it's a bit dilapidated. But, um, but what was really crazy is just to see the city and to actually almost imagine that at some other stage in the last 100, 113 years, it was a thriving city. Well, it is a thriving city, but it was, it was different. Now you look at it, and there's broken down buildings, and there's, I don't know. I, I, you know, I've taken my fair share of risks in my life, but I didn't feel safe on the streets. <laughs> um, and I, I don't mind doing that kind of stuff. But cities and you know, we get impressed with cities. I've, I've also been privileged to be to New, go to New York a few times, and New York is a very interesting city. Um, it actually smells a lot, like very bad. <laughs> I don't know if you know that, but it smells really bad. And I, think, I really think it's the capital of consumerism in the world. Um, the city is bustling day and night. The shops are open all hours, every day. It's, it's a crazy city. What's interesting, and I'll go over to heaven. So Abraham was looking for this city. He was looking for a city with eternal foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Now, in Revelation, Revelation 21, I love this. It's kind of close to the end of the, of the whole canon of Scripture. John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had just passed, had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And this is my favorite. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. 
mean, one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible is, he who is seated on the throne says, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. Incredible scripture. Incredible scripture. What's interesting with the tension between heaven and earth and us living here, but having eternity in our hearts, is um, that longing that I was speaking about that C.S. Lewis kind of touched on. He says there's three responses to this longing. So he says you've got this kind of feeling in your heart that there's something, but you don't know what it is and what do you do with it. He says the first response is the fool's way. He says he puts the blame on the things. So he like says, yeah, no, you know, he tries another woman or he went for a more expensive holiday or whatever it is. Uh, then this time he would really catch the mysterious something that he's after. So there's people who really pursue, <laughs> you know, they just go, they blame it on, the, on that things itself. And he says the second way is the way of the disillusioned or the sensible man, which I think is the one that we are actually in danger of doing. Um, he says he soon decides that the whole thing was moonshine, as he calls it. Of course, he says, one feels like that when you're young. But by the time you get to my age, you've given up on chasing the rainbow's end. And, uh, and so he settles down and learns not to expect too much and represses that part of himself which used to, used to cry for the moon. He says, this is, of course, a much better way than the first and makes a man much happier and less of a nuisance to society. But it tends to make him a prig. Don't know what a prig is. He's apt to be rather superior towards what he calls adolescence. Okay? So a bit of pride. But on the whole, he rubs along fairly comfortably. So that's like the two, respo- two, two of the responses. The third one is the Christian response. Coming back to Hebrews. I just love Hebrews 11 verse 1 because if you ever wanted a dictionary definition of faith, it says it right there. It says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. So faith is is tangible, should be tangible. Without faith, it's impossible to please him, it says in Hebrews 11 verse 6. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So I, I think what I've read, even if you read, we'll touch on a bit more Hebrews just now, But biblical faith, or this faith that they're speaking about in Hebrews 11, is bigger than I can imagine. It's not just a faith for something here and now to happen, or a faith goal, which I apply. I have faith goals. I think it's healthy. But this is a faith that must be so big that sometimes we have to hold on even when we don't receive the promise. It's a faith that outlasts this life. It's a faith that when disappointments come, because they do, thrives. doesn't just survive disappointments, but thrives because it's, it's a strong faith that's seeing the eternal, that's seeing the city, that's seeing that better country, that homeland, that we all desire. So C.S. Lewis says the Christian way. Christian says creatures were not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exist. A baby feels hungry. Well, there's such a thing as food. 
A duckling wants to swim. Well, there's such a thing as water. Interesting one. Men feel sexual desire. Well, there's something as sex. Some, some, such a thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire that no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. I love that. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures can satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were actually never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it. A lot of the times that happens, to suggest the real thing. If that is so, I must take care, on the one hand, never to despise or be unthankful for these earthly blessings, and on the other hand, never to mistake them for something else, of which they were only a copy, an echo, or a mirage. Listen to this. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that other country and help others to do the same. Powerful, powerful stuff. I looked at this and I thought about it and prayed about it and I really feel like there's a freedom that comes when you, when you know this, when you acknowledge the tension and when your hope is set on heaven and your hope is set and you've got a faith that outlasts this life. It outlasts the challenges in this life. That, dare I say, outlasts the blessings in this life. A faith that is solid and a faith that is set. I think there's a freedom that comes. I think there's a freedom that comes because many times, we ha- obviously, we have expectations and we hope for good things to happen and we hope for things to happen in a certain way. And many times they don't and then we obviously have the age-old question of why and how does this happen and but I just, I just, I'm longing, I'm longing, 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 honestly, for, for that anchor that we spoke about last year, the anchor of our souls, speaks about it in Hebrews, hope as an anchor of our souls, keeps us grounded, but not just grounded to survive, we're going to just end with a bit more of a practical application, like a, a solution to the tension, or what do we do in the tension, This is insane. So Hebrews 11 ends with this scripture. All of these people earned a good reputation because of their faith. Yet none of them, (laughs) that's insane, received all that God had promised. For God had something better in mind for us. So that they would not reach perfection without us. Perfection is an interesting thing. I'm not a perfectionist, but I think there probably are a few perfectionists here. But we also all have that desire for, for things to be right, for things to happen right, to things to be done right. I really think that's a, just the, de- it's God, like it's the desire for heaven in us. Um, and I think in a way that also like diffuses the tension again in terms of like maybe you know, for yourself, if you're a perfectionist, uh, I, one of my business partners in the, coffee indus- in the coffee business is definitely a perfectionist. He'll walk into a, a, a room and straighten the curtains, even if it's not his house, which is, I, I appreciate, because, you know, 
At least someone's straightening the curtains. But, um, <laughs> but I think there's, there's good news in there for, for all of us who want things to be right. Things will be right. <laughs> things will be made right. Things will be made right. Eventually, if not in this lifetime, eventually. Just want to end with some practical things for us. So I just loved this um, because there was a bit of a journey happening here. So we spoke, we started speaking about hope, having a hope. We spoke about faith. Now I don't know if that rings any bells, but uh, one Corinthians thirteen speaks about faith, hope, and love as a as a trinity. Um, and he speaks, you can go read through it, but yeah, I just love, like, <laughs> it's kind of a commentary almost into our charismatic church that we really love. Um, but it just says, if I speak in the tongue of men and angels, but I have not love, I'm a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, which is incredible, and if I have all faith, how crazy is that? So as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I'm nothing. If I, this is another one. <laughs> if I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burnt, but I have not love, I gain nothing. And then he speaks about love, which is challenging, very challenging. And I think we sometimes, we don't go back to that scripture because we've heard it so much. and We think we know it off by heart, but we don't really know many scriptures off by heart. So let's, you, I think we must go back to the scripture every now and again because there's a lot in you. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we, we, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. I love that. So he says, now faith, hope, and love Abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. I don't know if you know why the greatest of these is love, but when we go to heaven, faith will become sight, hope will become experience, and love will remain, because God is love, and God is there. So love is incredible. Kind of over my time, but I'll end with this. So what now? <laughs> you know, obviously, we're not supposed to just kind of all go to our houses and just wait. You know, we are waiting. And, uh, but what should we do? What are we supposed to do? Obviously, we're supposed to share the gospel with others. We're supposed to live the gospel. Um, you're going to be hearing a bit of this language in the next, probably next 20, 20 to 50 years. But... Um, We've just kind of, as, as leadership in church, we've decided, or Henny's actually brought this to us, and we've really bought into it, is um, three things. Living the gospel, loving the people, and obeying the Spirit. And I think if we just focus on those three things, we'll have enough to do until we go back to be with the Lord or until He returns. But, um, but we are called to engage. We are called, called to engage in this world. And, and I just love, you know, Jan George is here, and it's just reminded me again of Titch and his wife who engaged with culture and engaged with the world and said, God is a father to the fatherless. 
God is a father to the fatherless. So we are supposed to engage with this world. We really are. And if your job is not helping you engage with the world, find something to engage with the world. But we are supposed to be talking. We're supposed to be a voice for, for God in this, in, this, in this world. We should take pain, suffering, and injustices seriously. We really should. And it's a challenge to us. We, we have to. We have to confront exploitative structures in this world. We really have to. It's hard. It's not easy. Um, yeah, and you'll probably find something really resonates with you. If you think of William Wilberforce, obviously ending the slave trade, which was no small feat, really resonated with him. So much so that he'd dream about slaves. He'd like crying out for help, and he just it, he couldn't get it out of his system. And it took 17 years of going back to Parliament every year with the same bill over and over again. And you can read up about him. He had tough times. He, he actually started taking opium at a stage, which I don't know if you know, but it was quite a strong drug. He really struggled. He was like this burden of ending the slave trade was, really had a toll on his body. But he, he endured. He got saved, radically saved. Amazing uh, stuff that he did. But, yeah, just kind of confronting exploitative structures. Address the deterioration. Now, I'm still trying to grow in this, but it, we should be addressing as Christians and as children of God, the creator of this world, we should be addressing deterioration of creation due to selfishness because that's happening. Father the fatherless. fatherless. Actually, I just want to end... You guys can stand. I want to end just reading a section. I don't know if anyone's read Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58 is a massive challenge because it speaks about fasting. And Isaiah is kind of speaking about, you know, speaking about the people. Well, I don't know. He was obviously commenting on Israel's leaders that they fast and they like people to see them and, they, you know, they have all these things that they're doing. And then at verse 6, he says, or God says, is this not the fast that I have chosen? And what is the fast that God has chosen? It's to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, that you break every yoke. Is it not to share bread with the hungry, that you bring your house into your house the poor who are cast out when you see them naked that you cover him and very interesting one it says and you hide not yourself from your own flesh which is your family so he's actually saying in there look after your family which is what John George shared with us earlier incredible scripture if you don't know what to do with your life then pray and look at uh, Isaiah 58 because it is very practical and there's many other scriptures like it but yeah, let's just pray. I think let's pray a bit just around what, what God is doing in your heart. Yeah, Lord, we just thank you for tonight. God, I really trust for a freedom. I trust for a freedom and, a, and just almost like in a way, some of us might feel like we, we don't have that faith that's in Hebrews 11 that's spoken about and I don't think any of us, <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's a supernatural thing. I really think so. 
So I almost think tonight we must actually just take our faith that we have and almost like just uh, hand it in to be fixed. Um, Corrie ten Boom spoke about faith like a watch or broken watch. She said, if it's broken, just take it to be fixed and get a new one. And uh, tonight, Lord, we just bring you our faith. We really bring you our faith, God. God, we want to have faith that sees eternity, God. We want to have faith, God, that sees you in eternity, God. And that gives us courage today, strength today, joy today, a purpose today, stamina to run today, God, a voice today. We trust you for that, God. Give us that faith, God. We ask you for it, Lord. And then, Father, I want to ask tonight, God, I almost sense like there might be a few people here who, who don't yet know what God is calling them to do, what God is calling them to focus on and to engage with, with this world. And tonight, I pray for those people. And, and I, I don't know if you'd be so bold as to raise your hand if you're feeling a bit of frustration in that space. Please raise your hand if you're feeling frustration in the space of you're not sure like what God is calling you to do. Lord, I just thank you for these hands, God. And I just pray, Lord, tonight that you'd commission them, God. I pray, God, that you'd speak to them, God, to their hearts. And it would be a day and, day and night experience, just clear as day. And even in this week coming, Lord, that they would commit themselves to really open their, their hearts towards you and to know what you're calling them to do. And I thank you that that great faith will be with them, Lord. Because they're going to need it, Lord. They're going to need it to, to really press in. So I just thank you for each one of them. Thank you for purpose. Thank you, Lord, that, that the gospel empowers us, God, to fulfill our purpose in this world. Thank you for that, God. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.